Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Let's get started. By the way, later today, I think 3 o'clock our time, there are reports that the impeachment train for Donald Trump is going to start leaving the station. We will talk about that in a little bit. But first of all, Bernie thinks you've got too darn much money, and he wants it. That would be Bernie Sanders, who is very, very frustrated, I think, in his role in the campaign now, because four years ago, Bernie was the flame-throwing socialist who was about to upset the uh, uh, the American way of life. And, and he got edged out by Hillary Clinton. Some people think the whole process was rigged. So now Bernie is running again, and a number of other people who are kind of co-opting his ideas, they're, they're getting a lot of the attention. And Bernie's going, what me? What me? What about me? And as a result, Bernie is He's, he's out there. He's as aggressive as he's always been, but he's now even pushing his ideas farther and farther to the extreme. Okay, bear with me. In this country, when it comes to taxes, as a general rule, we tax income. We do not tax wealth. By What I mean by that is you pay – when you make money – Let's let's take the simplest thing. You your your salary. Let's say you you work your salary. Let's say your salary employee. You make seventy five thousand dollars a year. You pay taxes on that seventy five thousand dollars. All right. Once you have paid tax on that seventy five thousand dollars, you don't pay tax on that again. Now, if you take that seventy five thousand dollars and you invest it in the stock market and that 75,000 turns into 150,000 and then you cash out you will pay tax on your gain the 75,000 not your initial $75,000 investment follow me because you've already ta- paid tax on that you'll pay tax on the new 75,000 uh, but and that's the way it goes you get taxed on income money that you've made you do not get taxed on wealth and once you pay taxes on stuff you don't pay tax on it again there are exceptions the estate tax and things like that but that's the basic premise of our whole system of taxation so yesterday bernie sanders gives a speech and this again just like better o'rourke saying i'm coming for your guns bernie sanders makes no no illusion about where he is. This is what he said yesterday. Let me be very clear. As president of the United States, I will reduce the outrageous and grotesque and immoral level of income and wealth equality. What we are wealth inequality. What we are trying to do is demand and implement a policy which significantly reduces income and wealth inequality in America by telling the wealthiest families in this country that they cannot have so much wealth. Asked if he thought billionaires should exist in the United States, Mr. Sanders said, I hope the day comes when they don't. 
It's not going to be tomorrow. But I don't think that billionaires should exist. He said, look, I understand there's always going to be rich people and others with less money. This proposal that I'm talking about doesn't eliminate billionaires, but it eliminates a lot of the wealth that they have. And that's what I think they should be doing. So here is what Bernie Sanders is proposing. In addition to the typical income tax that people would pay, what he wants is he wants to impose an extra tax on wealth. And by the way, it's not aimed at billionaires. It starts off, for example, if you have 32 to $50 million of net worth. Now, look, I understand that's not most people, but 32 to $50 million of net worth, you would have to pay an extra 1% marginal tax rate on your net worth. And then it goes up. Fifty million to two hundred and fifty million, you'd pay two percent. Five billion dollars, you'd pay seven percent. You get the idea. It's a sliding scale. But in addition to taxing the income you make, he wants to tax people's wealth. So if you are somebody who has done very, very well, and you've saved your money, and you've invested your money, or you've inherited your money, and you decide that um, you you've got it in savings, you've got it in mutual funds, you've got it invested in real estate. Bernie thinks you have too much, and he wants to start taking that from you. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I I understand that most people aren't going to, over the course of their lifetime, accumulate a net worth of $32 million or more. I, I, I understand that. But in many cases, the people that have have accumulated it, not because they inherited it, but because they came up with these great ideas and they started businesses and they have employed people and they have worked their butts off and they have been successful. Should those people now be punished by having the government make a decision that they have too much and that they need to have some of that taken from them? Is that a good policy? And What is going to be the possible downside of that if we start going after wealthy people and saying we're going to tax not just your income, and lots of wealthy people pay lots of income tax, but we're also going to start taxing your assets? What is going to happen if we really started doing that? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Bernie Sanders says he's disgusted at the, the accumulation of wealth and the wealth inequality. He thinks people have too much, and he wants to take some of it from them. Is this a good idea? 414-799-1620, I will tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. Bernie Sanders, he wants a wealth tax and a major wealth tax starting at people who have around $30 million to box. And I understand for most of us that that's not going to be an issue. But what about the larger principle? Should we start taxing people based on how much they have? Because we've decided, gee, if you have too much stuff, well, you just don't deserve it. Julie in Menominee Falls. Julie, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I have three points to make. The first point is that many entrepreneurs are not going to throw themselves like crazy into this wild dream that they have if they think that the wealth that they gain from it is going to be taken away from them. Correct. So you're going to suffer for a loss of ideas. They're, they're just not going to come forward. The people who back them aren't going to want to back them because 
Why should they if the government's just going to take their money away? Um, secondly, you're going to have people that are going to fall within these brackets that don't have that $50 million sitting around in cash. It might just be land that they own. Yeah. But are they now going to have to sell their land yeah. in order to pay this tax? Yes, and let, let, let's just stop it. You're, you're exactly right. He's talking about total net worth, which would mean on a yearly basis you would have all your assets. Presumably, you know, you, you'd have to disclose and figure out what the net worth is, and then you'd add it up. So let's take family farms, for example, that, you know, uh, and that's, again, it, it's worth, maybe the maybe the farmland is, is worth $5 million. Maybe it's worth $10 million, but it's not liquid. You know, you, you farm it. Yes, those assets would be considered as well. So, right, what happens exactly? Okay, and then lastly, very wealthy people have the ability to move their money around. I mean, look at Illinois. Illinois started taxing the snot out of people, and their wealthy people started moving out of state. Yes. Because if if I live in Illinois and I've got a lot of money, I don't want to pay it to the government. I want to keep my money. I'm just going to move someplace else. Julie, that so, that is such a good point. I mean, look look at what happens on a, on a smaller level. You have people who regularly, in retirement, leave Wisconsin because of our tax policy to to flee to other states, um, warmer, arguably better climate, but also a, a much better tax climate. You are exactly right when you talk about wealthier people. And, I mean, you, you do something like this, and you know what's going to happen? You're going to have a lot of wealthy people who are going to be dumping everything they possibly can and, I don't know, buying land in Ireland or buying land in Costa Rica or whatever because they're simply going to figure out ways to avoid this. And lastly, um, taxes never go down. So it may be 1% now and 2% now, but let the Democrats get a hold of a tax like that, and they're going to be like, well, we got so much money out of these people these years. Let's make it 3% now. And that's just going to be a thing. Right. No, th- thanks for the call. And more likely, here, here's the other thing that's going to happen. You might say, okay, well, they're coming for somebody else now. I, it's he, he wants to start, I mean, he says, I'm going to tax billionaires. We're starting at, at $32 million. Okay, now I, I understand for most of us, most of us, $32 million, you're not going to have that in net worth. I get it. I understand it. But this is a starting point. And to your point, Julie, yes, you can see the rates going up, but I think more likely you can see the amount going down. Well, you know, all right, now it's $32 million, but, you know, now it's now it's $10 million, Now it's $5 million. Why do you need to... Now, you've got $5 million in assets socked away. Well, we have some people who don't have anything in this country here. You know, we, we've got to do away with this wealth inequality. I guess this is one of the things that offends me about this ongoing discussion, and, and that is this idea that, that, it, that it's bad to accumulate wealth, that it's bad to create jobs, that it's bad to be successful, that it's bad to, I don't know, come up with some great idea as to how to build a better mousetrap, and that somehow you are eager evil. You've done something wrong. You should be ashamed of yourself. You are not contributing your fair share. I will tell you, I mean, I know people who are extremely wealthy. I get it. Those people, by and large, 
Those people, by and large, worked their butts off. They took incredible risks earlier in their career, putting you know their homes on the line, et cetera, et cetera, and they've succeeded. Now, there's a lot of people who I think probably did the same thing and didn't succeed, all right? But but they, they tried. They aspired for this. The American dream is built on trying to do the best you possibly can and not being punished for that success. Now, I understand that we all have to pay taxes, and I have no Sympathy for people who are um, no sympathy for people that are, again, trying to, you know, skirt the system and avoid paying taxes and things like that. But the basic fundamental thing that is driving where Bernie Sanders comes from on this is his fundamental belief that if you have been successful, too successful in America in his way, at least as far as being able to accumulate assets, you need to be punished. You are do not deserve everything that you have, and the government has every right to take a portion of that from you. That's not the kind of country I grew up in. Do I think we have an obligation to provide safety nets for the least fortunate among us? Absolutely. But if we're going to talk about demonizing demonizing the wealthy class. I'm, I'm sorry. And where do you think all these private sector jobs and stuff come from? Well, they come from typically, I don't know, people who've purchased companies, purchased people who are employing people. Um, that's that's how you get jobs. You get people taking risks and paying salaries. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Matt in Burlington. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. How Hi, Matt. You? I'm good. What do you think about this? Well, my take on it is I would think exactly as the wealthy and rich people think, and I would look at what works for me. So whatever tax proposal is out there, if it lowers my burden, I'm going to apply the same logic that wealthy people apply and say, does that reduce my burden? And the answer is probably no, I would guess. Probably no. Well, if if somebody else pays more taxes and I can pay less, I'll take it. Well, right. That would be the option I would go with. Okay. Well, again, see, and that, that, see, and that's that's the class warfare thing. And I guess I understand that's that's what the the appeal of this kind of stuff is, and it's the appeal of the socialist dogma that's out there. Look, there are people out there who have more than you have. They don't deserve that. They don't deserve that second house in Florida. They, they don't. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve to belong to that particular club. They don't deserve to drive that really nice, expensive car when you're not driving the car. They don't deserve to fly, you know, business class when you're stuck in economy. They don't deserve any of those things. So here, here, let's vote. Let's support my idea because I'm going to take it away from those people and I'm going to try to figure out a way to give it to you. It's this class warfare that I think is very, very bad for this country because if we know nothing about history, we know that socialism does not work. It's never worked. And if it's never worked before, why do we think it's going to work in America in 2020? But yet, that's what Bernie Sanders is all about. Let's get upset because you have the people that have too much money, and let's take this from them. And to his credit, to his credit, he he's not... He's not being shy about this. He says, look, I just there's too many people in this country that have too darn much money and I want to take it away from them. Now, we all have to decide, I guess, whether that's the America that we want to live in. For me, I'm going to vote no. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
so very glad to have you with us. Journal Sentinel has a story today about something that Chris Abley, who I think is behind a lot of this, they, they don't specific. This has Abley's fingerprints all over it. And it's something that even a bunch of Milwaukee County judges and even the district attorney are raising eyebrows about. All right. The House of Correction uh, down in Franklin. The House of Correction is where people who commit crimes that don't warrant being sent to one of the state prisons, they, they get they get sent to the House of, of Correction. And what happens, some people are eligible for work release. In other words, what will happen is they will be allowed to leave the House of Correction in the morning and go out and go to work or go to school, or look for a job, or whatever. But then the understanding is, at the end of the day, they are supposed to come back and they spend their nights at the House of Correction. It's a way of keeping track of the criminals, and it's also a form of punishment. I mean, it's it's short of, of saying, look, you know, you're actually going to prison, but it, it does impose some sort of sanction for whatever it is that they've done. Well, it turns out that the guy that runs the House of Correction, apparently he has cooked up this plan, which would say what we're going to do is we're going to take people at the House of Correction and inmates that are eligible for work release. We're not going to make them come back and spend their nights in the jail. We're just going to let them go. And what we're going to do is we're going to put a, a GPS monitoring system on them. We're going to give them a bracelet, and we're going to be able to keep track of them. So theoretically, they could sleep at home. They could serve their sentences on work release and house arrest, but we would be able to check in on them. So, But they're, they're at home. They can do what they want. We can set it up with the technology that would be able to monitor if they you know ingest alcohol or not, et cetera, et cetera. But the idea would be... We're not going to make them come back. We're not going to make them spend their night at the House of Correction. So what what is driving this? Well, it's money. Actually, in the Journal Sentinel, John Chisholm, the district attorney, and Chisholm and I disagree on just about everything, but he says what's driving this is the counties broke. He says if enough inmates are put on bracelets, essentially told that they, they don't have to, spend the night at the House of Correction, well, then maybe what we could do is we could shut down a dorm, and then we could we could have some real savings. We could lay off guards, et cetera, et cetera. We wouldn't need the space. So the idea being, all right, rather than penalizing people by punishing them and making them having to come back at night, we're just going to let them go home. All right, a number of Milwaukee County judges are also saying, well, well, wait a minute here. You know, one of the, the reasons that we impose the, the sentences is we want to give people a chance to continue their job or to try to find a job or to go to school. But at the same time, we, we want to have a degree of punishment. And if all of a sudden the guy that runs the House of Correction is just going to make the unilateral decision that he's not going to require him to come back, well, all right, there, there goes the punishment. Okay, you, now you get to hang out at your house. Yes, you've got to wear a bracelet, but it's not the same as having to turn yourself into the House of Correction and spend the night there. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In a perfect world, it would save money 
if you said, okay, well, you don't you don't have to turn yourself back in at night. You just go home, and we're going to put the monitoring device on you. In a perfect world, I concede it would save money. Would it make the community safer, though? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and just let me bring this up. I mean – why prosecute people? I mean, it, it would it would save money if we didn't bring people into the criminal justice system. I mean, that that would save money. We could get a, do away with the jails. We could do away with the prosecutors. We could do away with the public defenders. I mean, it would save a lot of money. I have no problem at all with the concept of work release for for people. All right, but at the same time. There needs to be some penalty element to it. And if you take away the requirement that somebody has to turn themselves in at night, what you've essentially done is you've really, I think, made a laughing stock of the sentences. And simply the fact that, well, the county doesn't have enough money to do this, that's not a very good excuse. County has money to do all sorts of really dumb things. I think punishing people who have committed crimes should be a top priority. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Mary in Mequon. Mary, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Mary. Can you hear me? I can. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm totally against this. Um, I don't break the law, um, so I don't end up at the House Corrections. And if you break the law, there's consequences, um, fines. And um, just recently, there was a there was someone that cut their bracelet off. So how good yeah. is that? Well, well you know, right. I, I, well, right. Exactly. How many times? Over just the last two months, if we had situations where it was inmates who cut off their bracelets or who just kind of disappeared and then went on to commit crimes, I mean, how many times has that happened? But but I'm with you, Mary. I guess the, the basic point to me is there needs to be some degree of consequence. And, and look, look if, if you think if they think somebody's a worthwhile risk and it's OK to let them out during the day so they continue can can, can keep their job and maybe pay restitution. All right. Oh, okay, I'm down with that. But there still has to be some element of punishment and letting somebody just go to their house and watch TV or whatever. That's not punishment. No, it's not. And I would really like to sit home by myself and watch TV. But I have to go to work and obey the laws. Yep. And, you know, that's just not right. It's not a solution. No. I used to live behind the or in front of the House of Correction as a child. And my mother used to be scared out of her mind that someone would escape, and that it did happen during those times. Sure. And that, you know, someone would hurt me. So she would never let me, you know, be alone. So, and, and in this day and age when crime is up and young kids are doing it and they don't have a, a, a respect for anybody or anything, this is the wrong thing for the county to do. I'm well, sorry, but it, I love your show. Thank you. Well, thank you, Mary. I appreciate it. Well, I'm going to tell you, if, if, I were, if I were a judge, the way I would respond to this is I would simply stop sentencing people with a work release option. I mean that that that's that's the easiest thing to do. Okay, if you're going to turn loose everybody and not require them to be punished overnight, fine. I, I'm just going to sentence them to straight time. I mean that's the way that you can avoid what they're trying to do down at the House of Correction. And again, I I think you know it's really interesting that the Journal Sentinel, you know, they they try to get an interview with the character that's trying to you know push this whole thing through, and, and he won't 
talk publicly about this. And I guess I think part of it, again, is I, I wonder, is this something that they have cooked up with um, you know, Chris Abley to try to save money? Um, even John Chisholm, like I say, Chisholm saying, look, the county's broke. This is why they're doing it. But, I mean, all you need is one person who's supposed to be home at night who decides they're not going to come. They're supposed to turn themselves in at night to go out and commit some really serious crime. And you're going to understand why this is such a bad idea. Julie in Milwaukee. Julie, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for calling. Um, yes, I, too, think it's a horrible mistake to allow these people to go back home. That was their punishment. Um, I'm the wife of a recently retired Milwaukee police officer, so I get what's, what's out there. And I wanted to know the statistics of people that have been on GPS trackers and what cr- crimes they've committed, like the woman before me had said. They can cut them off. Right. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. The journal sent what what the House of Corrections claims is that um, in the last couple of years, more than 99 percent of the 5,200 inmates on GPS bracelets successfully completed their programs. But they don't explain what that means exactly. But but that's the ones that's the ones who are eligible for, you know, the that's the ones who are eligible for the GPS monitoring, which is a different class of criminal than the, the people who are on work release. I, you know, I, I go, this touchy-feely stuff, Julie, to let criminals avoid consequences, I just, I don't understand where it comes from. And if it comes from the idea that it's going to save money, well, okay, look, one thing we need to spend money on is making the rest of us safe. I think everybody would agree with that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and then you were saying the mayor wants to cut 60 police officers out of his budget it's right. like we, we can't afford to cut 60 we need more police officers so you know it's it's all that same thing more people committing crimes to put more people on into house arrest you know <laughs> uh well right it, th- thanks for calling and, and again I, I i i appreciate the the idea of, of trying to find it's it, it's costs a lot of money to send people to prison i i understand that and i understand that we're we're constantly grappling with alternatives to incarceration and we're trying to identify people that okay is there a cheaper way to still get the message across all right and and i really don't have problems with that my problems come in where we have dangerous people that are clearly career criminals who deserve to be behind bars and we try to find excuses not to put them behind bars in this particular case I think what you have, the work release stuff with the requirement that you turn yourself in at night, I think that's a reasonable sort of balance. And if the idea is going to be, well, we're just going to let them go home because it costs too much money, now I, that, that's just spend the money. Make people safe. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Governor Tony Evers decides to put political ambition for Democrats ahead of common sense and taxpayer dollars. It, it's it's an amazing story that's going to it's kind of in the weeds, but but it's again, it's one of these amazing stories. Sean Duffy is of course the he just stepped down yesterday. He was the congressman that represents kind of the northwest portion of the state. Huge district. It is a solid Republican district. All right? But Evers doesn't want it to be a solid Republican district. So here, here's what's going on. And it's just, it, it just, 
it makes you just roll your eyes involuntarily. Okay, Duffy steps down. So there needs to be a special election to fill the remainder of Duffy's term. Okay, so here, here's the deal. In Wisconsin, we already have a spring primary set up for, um, it's on February 18th. February 18th, people all over the state are going to go and they're going to vote in a spring primary election for nonpartisan offices. The clerk's office is going to be open. People are going to be voting. There is a general election, April 7th. And that's going to be for all the nonpartisan offices. There's going to be a Supreme Court race that's going to be on the ballot. And there's going to be the presidential primary. So it's going to be a big deal. A lot of people are going to be voting. Evers could have easily scheduled the Duffy election, the special election for the primary for February 18th and the general election for April. Now, whoever wins is going to have to turn around and run again in November. So they're only going to be a congressman for a few months. But but regardless, you, you could do it. You wouldn't have essentially any extra cost because the clerk's office are going to clerk's office is going to be open in February. And then you're going to have the big election in in April. Did Evers do that? No. What did he do? He's announced that he's going to have the primary election. Get this on December 30th, which is a Monday. We, we always we always have elections on Tuesdays, but he's decided that Tuesday is New Year's Eve. So he's going to have the primary, if you need one, on the week between Christmas and New Year's. He's going to do it December 30th. And then the general election is going to be January 27th. Now, keep in mind also what this is going to mean for this congressional district involves about like 18 counties or so. What are clerk of courts doing around the end of the year? Grew, I'm not even going to make you go on the radio and answer this. There's this thing called property taxes. Clerk of courts offices are swamped with trying to get property taxes out. You've ever seen a clerk of court's office on the 30th and the 31st, people running to pay their property taxes? Well, now in all these counties, in addition to having to deal with this, thanks to Governor Tony Evers, they're going to have to be also dealing with conducting an election on December 30th, a Monday between Christmas and New Year's, while you're trying to deal with property taxes. And then they're going to have the general election. It's scheduled for January 27th. Now, on the one hand, you get, I guess, a congressman theoretically 60 days earlier, right? Because somebody's going to win in January as opposed to having to wait till April 7th. So you, you get somebody two months earlier. But Really, you're going to have a huge cost. You're going to have a huge inconvenience. And the point is, you know, kind of so what? So what's really going on here? What's driving this? Well, I believe, and this comes back to the state Supreme Court election, if you have a congressional race that's going to be going on April 7th, well, then you're going to have, and that's a heavily Republican district. It's a solid Republican district. You're going to have more Republicans motivated to come out to the polls. They're going to vote for whoever the Republican nominee is, and they're more likely to vote for the conservative Supreme Court candidate. That's not something that Evers wants to have happen. So by rushing the election, having it two months earlier, 
putting the clerks of courts through all this stuff, you arguably depress the vote, the partisan vote for that spring, um, the spring general election. Maybe less Republicans turn out. Ah, you know, some people would say, oh, Jeff, you're overthinking this. Now, that's exactly what, what's going on here. It's a solidly Republican district. I appreciate that it's important to have representation. But the truth is Congress isn't going to be doing that much between the end of January and early April of next year anyways. Will the people in the district be horribly hurt if you don't have somebody that's filling that seat then? The answer is no. We could save the taxpayers thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, maybe more in dollars, but we're not doing it because I think the governor wants to play politics. Go figure. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. All right, bottom line when it comes to baseball is the Brewers have six games left, three against Cincinnati. You can hear the coverage here tonight. I think our coverage starts right after around 5 o'clock. Then three games against Colorado. The Brewers, you you don't want to... You know, count your chickens before they're hatched, but it appears that they are going to be at least one of the wild card teams. They are chasing St. Louis. St. Louis um, is three and a half games ahead of the Brewers. St. Louis and uh, the Brewers still have a few games left to play. St. Louis has two more in Arizona. They won last night, and then they play at home against Chicago. The Cubs are kind of in the tank. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a tough haul to overhaul the Cardinals, but you never know what could happen. The real battle more likely is the Brewers and the um, Washington Nationals locked up for the tiebreaker thing. And what happens is that the two wildcard teams play one game to decide then who goes into the, the best of five playoff round. Uh, the Brewers uh, are right now, they're a half game behind Washington. Washington has, um, let's see, they have a number of games left to play. They're playing a doubleheader today. They're losing against Philadelphia. They're losing one to nothing right now. Um, then they play, Washington plays two more games against Philadelphia after today. And then they finish up at home against Cleveland. Cleveland may be playing for their own wild card spot in the National League, in the American League. Bottom line is, um, Whoever has the better record gets the game at home, which is a big deal. The game is going to be, I believe, next Tuesday. And wouldn't it be cool to have, if the Brewers have to play that wild card game, wouldn't it be cool to have that game at Miller Park? So Brewers need to take care of business, and either Cleveland or Philadelphia needs to beat Washington a couple times, and that could, in fact, become a reality. I just, you you love meaningful September baseball, and I've said this before, I say it again, I am so very glad that I was wrong earlier in this year when I was saying, hey, th- th- this team, you know, it's probably just spinning their wheels. Now, in my defense, that's based on, you know, the big body of work that they had, but they sure turned it on at the right time in September, and all is good. If they take care of business, I think we'll see a home playoff game, at least one, in Milwaukee. That would be next Tuesday if they are one of the two wild card teams. All right. Let us completely and totally switch gears. This is the story that is riveting Washington. It is affecting the stock market today. The fact that Nancy Pelosi has scheduled for, I believe, 3 o'clock our time, a hearing 
a meeting of the Democratic caucus. The question is going to be, do Democrats proceed in the House of Representatives with efforts to try to impeach President Trump? Now, let me just say this at the outset. Right. Donald Trump is not going to be removed from office. That That's not going to happen. The Republicans control the U.S. Senate, and they're, they're not going to vote to remove him from office. But that doesn't mean that in the Democrat-controlled House of Representatives you could not have impeachment proceedings. What is the basis for these impeachment proceedings, even though they're going nowhere? Well, we, we still don't know all the details, but it's this it's the latest example of the mainstream media going absolute ballistic over Donald Trump. As I said yesterday, you've got at least, as of my count yesterday, eight New York Times reporters, seven Washington Post reporters working on this. Here is the deal in a nutshell, based on what we know thus far. President Trump has historically been skeptical of the Ukraine. The Ukraine is a very, very, it's a very corrupt government. But after Russia militarily tried to annex them, they became um, very, very popular in some circles in America. The idea was we got to support them and get them to stand up against Russia. And I don't disagree with that, by the way. But the Ukrainian government is extremely, extremely corrupt. And you've had a number of U.S. officials or U.S. Um, you know, U.S. citizens who've done business with the Ukrainian government over the years, and it's one of these governments you do business with them, and you just—it's like lying down with fleas. You know, you you wake up with them. You know, I, um, so in any event, what happened is President Trump a few days before having a conversation last summer with the Ukrainian president had made a decision to suspend hundreds of millions of dollars of aid to the Ukraine. He made this decision before he had the phone conversation that we are going to talk about. What he says is he did it because he was concerned with Ukraine corruption, and he thinks that he thought that other European countries should be contributing more, doing more of their fair share if we're going to be sending money to the Ukraine. All right, so that, that's the backdrop. He suspended aid. All right. And he has the authority to do that. Then there is this infamous conversation. And we, we don't know. We haven't seen transcripts of the conversation, etc. But some government whistleblower, as I explained yesterday, what happens is whenever you have the president of the United States on the phone with, say, a foreign leader, it's not just the two of them. You have all sorts of people who are listening in. They're not participating, but they're listening in. And the rationale is, gee, you know, we, we want to hear what the president said to this foreign leader because it might affect foreign policy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So presumably there is somebody who either was listening in on the conversation or who might have been told by somebody who was listening in on the conversation that during the call, President Trump pressured the Ukrainian president to open up an investigation into the activities of Joe Biden's son. Right? That that's that's the, the essence of this. And the argument is that there was a quid pro quo. The argument was that, you know, if the Ukraine didn't agree to investigate Biden's kid, would the U.S. not go ahead and give aid? So that that kind of quid pro quo. Well, again, the U.S. 
ultimately did give aid. I mean, President Trump decided, reversed himself. Uh, a number of his advisors thought that this aid package should go through, and they did give aid. So the Ukraine got the money. That, that's the essence of where we are now. I don't know that anybody has, first of all, really heard this particular conversation. Even if they heard it, I don't know that anybody's been aden- able to identify a specific crime or a misdemeanor that has been committed as a result of this. Because, again, um, the, U- Ukraine got the aid. And there's certainly nothing wrong, I think, with the president of the United States saying, hey, you've got to clean up corruption in your country. Now, what's unseemly about this is, again, the Wall Street Journal described it as the president's sort of political narcissism that he appears to be obsessed with, you know, not just the idea of corruption, but whether or not some of his rivals were involved in that corruption. Okay, so you, you do have that out there. But, you know, is this really an impeachable offense? I mean, is it something that the American people understand? Is it really a crime? And we're 13 months away from an election. The American people are going to go to the polls next November, and they are going to decide whether or not they want Donald Trump to continue to be the president. So here is what I want to discuss with you. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. President Trump describes this as yet another witch hunt. The Democrats and some of their allies in the mainstream media, the Washington Post, the New York Times, they think they've got this smoking gun. This is it. We can bring Donald Trump down. Do we want to spend the next 13 months pursuing impeachment, or is this a fool's errand that actually may backfire if Democrats go ahead? Where are you on the question of impeachment? Is this what you want to see us spending our time on over the next five, six, eight months? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. All right. Breaking news on this subject in the last... Four minutes, President Trump sending out a tweet. I am currently at the United Nations representing our country, but have authorized the release tomorrow of the complete, fully declassified and unredacted transcript of my my phone conversation with President Zelensky of Ukraine. You will see that it was a very friendly and totally appropriate call. No pressure. And unlike Joe Biden and his son, no quid pro quo. There is nothing more than a continuation of the greatest. This is nothing more than a continuation of the greatest and most destructive witch hunt of all time. So President Trump saying, OK, I'm, I'm going to put. I'll, I'll allow this transcript to be out there. Now, you know, whatever's in this transcript, you know it's not going to satisfy the opponents of President Trump, but it will be released tomorrow. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do, do you really want to see this country go through an impeachment process on an issue like this at this point in time? My answer would be no. Let's start with Dave downtown. Dave, you're first. Hello. Hi, thanks for taking the phone. Hi, Dave. Uh, not going to get off the subject, but one of the questions I would ask if I was a journalist, and we have no journalists anymore in this country, five W's, why is Joe Biden sitting on an oil board in the Ukraine with no experience in oil to begin with? I, that's one question I'd like to know, but the media will never ask that question. Um, the other thing I would just like to say is with with this whole witch hunt thing, and it is, it's a witch hunt. No sitting U.S. president is going to be removed from office. It's virtually impossible. The framers of the Constitution, right. our founding fathers, 
it's it's impossible. Right. And it's it's just it's just a wild circus ride. It, well, it, it is. It, it it is part of the. I mean, thanks for calling. And it's part of of the witch hunt that that is out there. I mean, this is. Look, I you you don't have examples of perjury. You don't have. Ex- I mean, the president of the United States gets to you know talk to world leaders and he gets to talk to them about whatever he wants to talk to them about. Now again, I, I think I, I don't know. We'll see tomorrow what the, what exactly he said and how he approached this, and then we'll be able to figure out is this another one of the the, the Trump derangement syndromes du, du jour? I mean, it seems like every week or two we go through. This is going to be the smoking gun that brings down the president. This is going to be the smoking gun that brings down the president. If the president did say, "Hey, I think you should investigate Biden's kid because I think he's a crook," do, do I think that was a smart thing to do? No, I would have just stayed away from it entirely. Is that an impeachable offense? No. And keep in mind again. What what happened here is that the president ultimately released the funding for Ukraine. So it, it's not even like, hey, I withheld this because I wanted him to do this investigation. Ultimately, they, they, they released it anyway. So there's no there there. Jeff, as a conservative who didn't vote for Trump, something like this would only make me want to vote for Trump. This would be a huge overreach and would only backfire. Ask Wisconsin Democrats how well the Walker recall election turned out from them. Yeah, I think I think it, at some point... People, look, I, I, I don't know how this next election is going to turn out. I, I don't. And it may very well be that President Trump is not reelected. I think a lot of it depends on who the Democrats end up nominating. But at the same time, I just don't think this is something that people – I don't think this country – is anywhere close to let's impeach the president over something like this. And I think there's a backlash that is developing as well. 414-799-1620, Vern in Oconomowoc. Vern, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, thanks for taking my call, Jeff. Um, you know, it seems like Congress's new motto is uh, impeach impeach the president. Yep. You know, you try and find something to, to hang on to, to try and get at whatever his agenda might be. The other thing I might say is that, you know, it seems like, Trump is about as seamless as there is in terms of uh, what his agenda is. He, he, he's forthright in terms of coming right out. Whether we like it or not, he gives us his opinion, lets us know what he thinks we should do, you know, and, and he moves on. And it's like there are no hidden agendas. It, if he thinks that we need to investigate these issues, so be it. Right. He, gave him the, he gave him the money. I mean, what's the big deal? Well, he, he so, did, I, right. It's a big he, waste of money. We have a lot to do in Congress besides that. Yeah, I mean, th- thanks for call. I mean, I, see, that's that that's the point. And again, I, I'll be curious to see the transcript because I, I think President Trump approaches a lot of stuff in a way that is is very very ham handed. I'll use that phrase for for, for today. But at, at the same time, I, I'm looking at these allegations and I don't understand where the high crime is. Where is the misdemeanor? Where is the impeachable offense? Where is the smoking gun? And what's happened is because you have people on the left who just hate him and who think that President Trump was not legitimately elected and they're shocked that he won and they resent the fact that Hillary Clinton wasn't the president. So now it, we, we've been we've been changing the rules. And of course, you know, Donald Trump has made no effort to make nice with those folks. And, you know, he's dug in his heels and I I understand why he's frustrating, and I also understand that there's a, at least a decent chance that he's not going to be reelected. Who knows how that's going to turn out? But this 
This is not, in my opinion, what the framers of the Constitution meant for impeachment, which is extraordinary circumstances of you know misconduct in office requiring you to be removed. Here's a text, Jeff. This is beyond sickening. The pure hatred from the left has got to stop. They need to focus their energy on making America great. 414-799-1620. Kurt text. Um, let's see. Uh, they withheld money for two months for emergency reasons, which is dubious at best. Well, um, yeah, I, who knows why they ended up doing it, but they ultimately gave Ukraine the money. Let's talk to Dan in Milwaukee. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Real well, thank you. Should we impeach the president? Yesterday I talked to you about this. Today I'm 100% for him. I am up. Here's the thing. I was talking to your man. I know the biggest, the biggest thing I got is that if we go ahead with impeachment inquiries, I mean, if we don't do inquiries and they go and try to get the whistleblower, it's going to go through court. It's going to take a year or more to find out exactly what happened. If you do start doing the impeachment inquiry, it's going to speed up. Then we're going to find out exactly, exactly, as you're saying, what was said and what wasn't said. Right. Now, now as I said to him before, Trump has already changed his mind about the money. He says, well, the reason why he held the money was, and I don't know if you heard this, is because he wanted the other countries pitch into right. Ukraine. Right, right, he, he right. No, yeah, thank, no, thanks for calling. You're, you're right. I mean, the, what, what Trump, what the president says is, I, I held up this money because I had concerns about corruption, and I think these other European countries should be contributing more of your fair share. They ultimately ended up, you know, putting that out there. Bottom line of all this is I, that this is not. Look, if you're going to impeach a president. You've got to, it's got to be something that you can explain to someone in two sentences, clearly what the president did wrong, where was the crime, etc. You know, Bill Clinton, you know, lied under oath. Okay, well, all right, there there it's understandable. You know, Richard Nixon engaged in the cover-up. Okay, that's fine. This, good luck with it. Good luck explaining it. And I guess once we see the transcript tomorrow, we'll know for sure. But mind you, it's not going to satisfy people. It's not going to satisfy people regardless of what is in that transcript. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We have really gone through the the looking glass. There's a guy named Kevin Steincross. I, I do not know him. He is a newscaster, or he was a newscaster in St. Louis. And he's one of these guys that caught got caught up with it, what appears to be an unfortunate slip of the tongue. Last, in January, or around the time of Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday, um, he was on the newscast, live news show, at 534 in the morning. Now, I, I'm always very sympathetic to this because as somebody who makes their living five days a week, you know, three hours a day speaking in front of an open microphone, and there there are occasions where you have slips of the tongue, um, words come out wrong. And I, I, I've always figured that, well, okay, people have to understand that people do, in fact, make mistakes, even professionals. So anyhow, it's 534 in the morning, and he's he's reading a news story, and he says, a tribute to um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is going to be held at St. Louis University, and he said it would honor Martin Luther, and instead of saying King, he says another word, which is a a, a commonly understood racial slur. 
Okay, and and back when Dr. King was alive, that this was it was a slur that was used that some you know bigots used to refer to him. All right, so he he says this and he, he speaks that that racial slur. He he comes on the air an hour and a half later and says, look, I'm sorry. Please know I have total respect for Dr. King, what he meant and what he continues to mean to our country. This was not intentional in any way, and I sincerely apologize. And nobody nobody argues that it was intentional. I think everybody recognizes that it was a slip of the tongue. It's 534 in the morning. The guy is reading his teleprompter or whatever, and he has that slip of the tongue. It It can, in fact... Happen to anybody. All right. So what the the TV station does, and they're owned by Tribune. The TV station they they come out and they say, look, we've we've spoken to him about this. We firmly believe that this was truly an inadvertent mistake. It was a mistake. It doesn't reflect his core beliefs. In other words, it was exactly what it was. It was a slip of the tongue when he was reading this particular news story. The county's NAACP chapter was was not impressed with this explanation. They say there are some matters where it is imperative we take a stand, and this is one of them. We understand some people believe it was a mistake, but there are some mistakes in every field that are grounds for termination. Hmm. So the local NAACP chapter is saying, look, even we accept if if this was a mistake, it doesn't matter. This is something that he should be fired for, for this slip of the tongue. Well, I bring this, this up because he has been on suspension since this happened in January. They didn't put this guy back on the air, and the announcement yesterday is um, he, he's gone. They they say he's no longer with the station. I don't know if his contract expired, but they, they clearly didn't renew him. They didn't put him back on the air. So this guy lost his job because of what I think everybody understands was a slip of the tongue. He he he, he didn't he, he if he was. If he was a, a virulent, ra- virulent racist who, you know, w- was doing this in a mocking sort of fashion, of course he should be fired. But this, he's a newsreader, and because he makes this slip of the tongue, this one word is sufficient to end up getting him sacked. And I guess I, I really do wonder where we're going in this. You know, again, clearly if he was displaying racist intent on the air, Boom, he, he should be gone. But have we now gotten to this point in this country where you have the inadvertent slip of the tongue? It is the accident. You acknowledge that it is an accident. You apologize for it. But even that apology is insufficient. This is the type of stuff that can cost you your job or cost you potentially your career. I mean, I don't know if this guy's going to be employable because he's always going to be the guy that was fired by the St. Louis TV station for you know saying what he said, even though everybody understands understands it's it's a mistake i just wonder at some point in time are we going too far with this and i understand when we see real racism in this world we we need to condemn it and you know we need to denounce the people who are perpetrating it but you know, what do we really accomplish in something like this by costing this guy his job because he made a mistake and had a slip of the tongue. Is that going to make somebody else more careful next time? No, because he didn't mean to make the mistake in the first place, but yet he's out of a job. When we come back, all right, some new information about this golf course that they want to close in Waukesha. There's a hearing on this tomorrow night. We'll discuss. 
Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. WTMJ TMJ listeners and fans, join us next Monday, September 30th, for a new signature event, WTMJ 2020. There will be newsmakers, politicians, sports owners, and many more discussing the trends and issues that will shape the coming year. Come be a member of our live radio audience at this free all-day event taking place at the Northern Lights Theater inside the Pottawatomie Hotel and Casino. It's WTMJ 2020, presented by Annex Wealth Management, Acunet Mortgage and Realty, and Hall Imports, brought to you by Professional Construction, Inc. More details available at WTMJ.com slash WTMJ-2020. All right. Um, this, I, I'm going to, again, go where angels fear to tread. Um, Wanake Golf Course, which is in uh, Waukesha County, specifically Menominee Falls, is one of three public golf courses they have in Waukesha County. It is hemorrhaging money by any stretch of the imagination. That's just kind of the reality of this. It's been losing money every year. Um, it needs more than $645,000 in repair and replacement costs. They say for the last X number of years, it's lost between 41000 and $243,000 a year. The county... Waukesha County has a golf course reserve funds um, that they've been using to keep it running, but those funds are, are kind of like running out. So what they've said is, we're going to close it. Now this, I, I understand because I am a golfer myself, people get passionate about this. And you've got a loyal group of people who play golf there, but not enough of them to make a go of it. In addition, you know, when it comes to golf courses, you have a number of really good um, public slash private golf courses that are around, including a lot in, in Waukesha County. So the idea is if you were to close a particular public golf course, <clears throat> it doesn't mean that people aren't going to be able to play golf. It might mean that people have to go a little bit out of their way to play golf, but they're still going to be able to play golf. Nevertheless, you've got a lot of supporters of the golf course, and the problem is there's just not enough of them, but they're very, very upset about this. There's going to be a hearing tomorrow, and they're going to come up with ideas to try to keep the course open. Some are saying, well, you know, increase increase the fees that people charge, you know, try to figure out ways to bring in other activities. And I think they're going to say, well, we've tried to do this, but it just hasn't worked. Nevertheless, people are extremely passionate about that. I have in my hand a letter regarding this matter. And I, I want to share it with you because it's addressed to Waukesha County supervisors and the, the county executive. Here's what it says. After the closing of the Wanaki Golf Course was announced, much media attention has been generated. While this is a common occurrence in the golf industry, it's important to separate the facts from the hype that accompany golf course industry issues. We are an industry that provides consumers a product, and that fact is often lost in sentimental trips down memory lane. This letter, by the way, is by Frank Romano, who's the president of the Milwaukee Golf Company. The fact is that Silver Spring Golf Club is a tax-paying 36-hole course that sits exactly 1,332 yards north of Wanaki Golf Course from door to door. 
That's three-quarters of a mile away. Silver Spring Golf Club operates at 21% of its annual capacity of golf rounds. Based on published reports, Wanaki Golf Club operates at 35% of its capacity, including discounted school rounds. Silver Spring Golf Club sells its season 18-hole rounds on the Falls course with a cart for $37.50. Wanaki sells 18 holes with, uh, sells 18 holes with a cart to residents for $43. We at Silver Spring offer the product to consumers for five fifty less per round than Waukesha County does. We have the capacity and desire to host all the school teams and events that currently are hosted at Wanaki Golf Club. Our company specifically hosts multiple school teams as the home course for no annual fee. Your vote to stop the annual losses and provide a correction in the market for all the taxpaying golf entities represents a prudent step in fiscal responsibility, etc., etc. Okay, so this is the guy, the company that owns Silver Spring Country Club, which is a public-private operation right down the street from where this golf course is. And he's saying, look, our course is underused. We pay taxes. Our course is underused. Wanakee is underused. We have the ability to pick up all the demand that would be there from Wanakee if you were to close this. And why are we really having the public golf course compete with us and lose all this taxpayer dollars? All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, again, as a golfer, I understand the passion people feel about their home courses and how we love golf courses and we want it to be as convenient as possible. I I get all that. But I've always been troubled when you have public golf courses that are competing again with private sector golf courses and the public golf courses, even with massive taxpayer subsidies, aren't able to, to make make a go of it. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There's going to be a hearing tomorrow night. There's going to be a lot of people who are extremely passionate about this. And I understand that there's also some people who think that, well, you know, just because we've always offered a, a public service, a golf course, whatever, that means we always have to offer the golf course the service, even if it doesn't make any economic sense at all. The more and more I look at the decision to close down this particular golf course, taking, again, the passion that people, the love that X number of people might have for this little golf course in Menominee Falls, the more you look at it objectively, the less justification it seems to me that there is for taxpayers in Waukesha County to continue to support this. It's not like there's not going to be all sorts of other available opportunities in the immediate area and even in Waukesha County to play golf. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Chris in Milwaukee. Chris, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Once again, Wanaki is still on the radio on this matter here. Yeah, big hearing tomorrow on this. Oh, I'll be there. One of the things that uh, you may not know um, is that historically, of course, in Waukesha, the golf courses have not received any taxpayer dollar assistance at all. And in this instance here, it's somewhat egregious. Um, about four years ago, the county voted to appropriate, totally legal, appropriated over $400,000 from the golf courses. They had a fund. The fund, yeah. Set aside. They took over $400,000 to fund other county projects. 
They haven't returned that yet. That's the rainy day fund. We would not be here talking about a $40,000 a year shortfall thanks to the rain had that money not been taken. Well, but it's I not just for, I mean, the, the number is that the, the, the course has lost between 41000 and 243000 annually for the last decade. So it's not just forty grand. I mean, it, it hasn't been making money for forever. And that has artificially been kept down. When efforts to raise the rates have been discussed, that has been rejected. Um, for instance, the entire shortfall this past year certainly would have been wiped out had they been permitted to charge the exact rate that NAG charges. NAG charges $7.50 around more. Mm-hmm. And everybody points to NAG and says, oh gosh, they're making money. Well, if you artificially tell somebody you cannot raise your rates, yes, you are going to have a shortfall. And by the way, one of the other things I find extremely frustrating is that when the July release was out and they said things were still being thought about, one of the things to think about is the working with management firms like New Berlin Hills has a management firm, just pay the rent and they take over something. Well, when that announcement in July was released, my understanding is at least one of those management firms contacted the Parks Department virtually the same day, and despite the perception of we'll consider things, they were told there would be no purpose in them submitting a proposal. In other words, the county wants that closed doesn't matter does not matter if they would make money on it they want it closed. well yeah but at the same time you're not going to seriously argue that there's going to be a way that they can make money on it are you oh absolutely they can't neg but, but well why would neg make money and uh, wanaki not make money well because there's all sorts of people play 18 whole rounds of golf at nagawaki they play nine holes at at uh, wanaki more often than not right um, there is yeah. a slight ratio on that uh, to do that. That is correct, yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I wish we had more time to talk about this. I'm sorry. I'm kind of up against the news, and i got a heart out. I, there's going to be a hearing on this tomorrow. I I understand the, the attachment and the passion that people have for, for things, golf courses in particular, because I'm a golfer. I, like I say, I, I get it. At the same time, when I look at numbers that say you've got something that's been losing money, a public entity that's been losing money, like this has been losing money for years. I, I think you have to end up doing something. And I, I do think it's interesting, you know, it's not like there's not going to be golf in Waukesha County. It's not going to be like there's not going to be opportunities for people to play at public golf courses because they still own two golf courses. And as the letter from the guy from Silver Spring says, that you know, with, within what a half a mile, there, there's also a, another perfectly good golf course. I understand the passion that's there, but unless people are able to come up with a concrete plan to uh, at least get this out of the red that you know is going to work, I don't think they have any choice. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I wasn't going to share this story, but I think I will because it, it, it's this good news story that, that maybe you don't hear enough of. You, you reach a... I'm kind of at this stage in my life where it, it seems like, if not on a weekly basis, certainly every couple weeks, you pick up the phone and somebody's calling about somebody you know, either a friend or a friend of a friend or an acquaintance or a high school classmate or something, and, and, and they're sick. And oftentimes they're, they're sick with... 
uh, some really, really bad disease, lots of times it's cancer. And, and that's, you, you hear this a lot. And if, if you're not at that stage of your life, you, you will, trust me, you will be at some point in time. I, I don't know whether it's the environment or, or what it is that, that the various types of cancers are so prevalent and things like that. And all too often, when you know you you hear somebody that has a diagnosis like this, it, it ends up it does not end well. It, and I understand there's been all sorts of advancements and things like that, but it just my experience is it, it just it doesn't it, it just doesn't end well. So a few months ago, I want to say about like seven or eight months ago, a a, a dear friend of mine, just a, a wonderful man, goes in to see his doctor, and um, that he he'd been he'd lost he'd been losing weight and um, had a cough. And the doctor heard this, and they sent him over, actually over to Freighter, and they, they did these tests, and the, the number, it, it comes back, and he gets a diagnosis of cancer. The particular type doesn't matter. But, um, you know, and, and over the last six or, or eight months, I've been just on, on the periphery of this. You know, we, we've gone over and seen him and kind of helped. We, we've, we've walked through the, the treatments, and it's chemotherapy and radiation and things like that. And it's just, I, I have, unfortunately, this familiarity with that because of, you know, personal circumstances in my life. And it's just, and you know, you're, you're pulling for your friend to do well. And at the same time, you know, you sit there and you say, okay, well, I know, you know, how, how horrible these diseases are and stuff. Well, last night we went out to dinner. We had a little bit of a party because after aggressive chemotherapy and radiation therapy, my, my friend is um, essentially, I, I don't know if the, what the right term is, cancer-free. I mean, it it worked after six months of just miserable treatments and things like that it, it worked now I again I, I don't know what that means moving forward but but at least for the moment and I don't know if you ever really beat that but for the moment you know he he's he's cancer free and and that that's just the, the coolest thing in in the world and and after dinner last night I'm I, I've told this before on the on the radio I'm not a hugger but just after as, as we were leaving the restaurant last night I just I, I gave him the biggest hug I could possibly imagine because it was just I, I was just so thrilled and so happy and so pleased and it, it just shows that you know sometimes sometimes you, you, you can if if not beat it you can at least defeat it for the, the time being and so it was just a huge success story so I've been I've been thinking about that you know just for like the last 24 hours or so so for people who are going through this if if you know somebody who's who's going through that and going through the tests and going through all the treatments and is battling this and sometimes you feel that okay there's just there's there's just no light at the end of the tunnel um i'm i'm here to tell you sometimes there are success stories and uh, like i said a dear friend of mine he he he's one of them at least for for the moment and we we just we could not be happier. All right, I want to completely switch gears. I don't want to talk about impeachment. Tomorrow's going to be an interesting conversation because I am this. I am now curious that this whole impeachment of President Trump thing started based on a whistleblower complaint. And the more I find out about this, it, it the whistleblower might not have even been somebody who was listening into the particular phone call. But now President Trump says he's going to release the transcript. I, I understand Nancy Pelosi, who's going to be having a meeting at three o'clock, I think our time with the Democrats to decide where you go on impeachment. She's even now changing her tune. She's saying, well, even if during this phone call there wasn't a, a quid pro quo, in other words, 
uh, President Trump says, I'm going to withhold aid unless you go after Joe Biden's kid for corruption. Even if there there wasn't anything like that, well, maybe there's still a basis for impeachment, which just tells you how how I, I think just in deep into Trump derangement syndrome the Democrats are and how if it turns out that this particular transcript is a nothing burger, how there there may very well be a huge backlash one against the mainstream media and two against anybody who's plotting impeachment. But we're going to have a better idea of that tomorrow. So I, I want to switch gears in the interim. A couple weeks ago, I was telling a story about a, an institution in one of our local communities, Whitefish Bay. And I, I, I lived in Whitefish Bay for 30 years, don't live there anymore. But it was a, a local pharmacy called Dan Fitzgerald Pharmacy. It had been in existence since 1956. And I you know, when my parents moved here in 1967, uh, when I was a kid, and it, it's it literally was the only pharmacy that I I ever went to. And, and you know, as a kid, it was the pharmacy my parents went to. As an adult, it was the pharmacy that I went to, and it, it was the only pharmacy we knew. And I I understand that, you know, maybe. It would be cheaper. You could get better deals if you went to Walgreens or if you went to CVS or whatever. But I always like to support the local business. And it was a big part of the Whitefish Bay community. Ultimately, they, they just they just couldn't compete. That, that That's the bottom line. You had the big insurers that essentially said, no, you know, you, if you want to get prescriptions refilled, you got to go to one of the, the major players, et cetera, et cetera. And they couldn't compete. And so a business that had been in existence since 1956, you know, goes belly up, leaving a huge hole on Main Street in uh, Whitefish Bay. Well, okay, on the heels of that, there's another story. Another business in Whitefish Bay that had been there I don't know, pretty much, it seems like forever, right across the street from from Fitzgerald's Pharmacy, the uh, was was a bakery. It was called the, the Bay Bakery, and it had been through various owners. But it had been there for like 80 years, 80 years, and they announced that they were closing. They closed Saturday, September 14th. Now, again, different owners, but it had been a bakery. And I can remember, uh, again, more... More Sundays than I can imagine. The, the typical Milwaukee thing, you'd go over there in the morning and on Sundays and you'd get the hot ham and rolls. And I can just, uh, did, did I do it every week? No, but we, we did it a lot. And this was, again, a, a huge fixture of, in this case, Whitefish Bay. But it doesn't matter that it was Whitefish Bay. It could be, you know, any, it could be any community around here. You have the bakery and you have the locally owned drugstore that end up end up closing. In the case of the bakery, I think the, the owner um, simply said, look, I, I appreciate all this, but it just, it, it kind of got to be too much, and I was ready to do, you know, different stuff, and I've I've loved the business, and I hope somebody, you know, comes and wants to rent the space because my family owns this, but it was just time to move on. But I, I have no doubt that just like the pharmacy ends up going out of business because, of the competition from the big chains, I have no doubt that, for example, trying to run, you know, a mom and pop bakery, you know, anywhere in this area, it has got to be just an incredible struggle. I mean, you're you're competing uh, again against the big supermarkets that are there, and the supermarkets either have their own bakeries or they've got you know the the giant places that provide them and supply them with stuff. 
making it just just more and more difficult to operate. Now, I, I understand that on one level, it's like, okay, who, who cares if a local pharmacy goes out of business? Or who cares if a bakery, even if the bakery's been there for 80 years, who cares if it goes out of business? I'm still going to be able to go to the big grocery store, and I'm going to be able to get what I want. And And there is an element of truth to that. At the same time, at the same time, when when you see businesses, locally owned businesses that have been an integral part of the community for decades and decades and decades, not able to make it. And I understand this isn't necessarily a new story. It's been going on for a while. But when you see these businesses that are not able to make it, you, you do have to wonder, you know, moving forward. You know what is what is the future of retail business going to look like? Are 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 small pharmacies going to be able to make it, or is that just it? Is it going to be the whole world of prescription drugs is going to be driven by a handful? Are are, are there going to be local bakeries anymore? Are there going to be the corner taps? Are the local hardware stores going to be able to survive, or have we finally reached the tipping point where the truth is it's going to be all the big box stores, it's going to be the chains, they're going to be there, so you're still going to be able to, to get what you need, but you're not going to be get, able to get it from the local business. Our number, 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, and I understand that this was not as pointed as some of my questions are, but... When, when I see the, these institutions that are closing, I guess, number one, I, I, it's not just nostalgia. I, I feel I just feel sorry because they're such a part of communities. Secondly, I wonder what it's going to do to main streets all around our area and around the state and around the country, I guess, if you have these businesses that just can't make it anymore. I mean, are we going to be looking at just more and more, you know, vacant storefronts on on our main streets of our small towns because well, okay, that that doesn't fit for the Walmart or it doesn't fit for the Handy Andy or it doesn't fit for, you know, the giant convenience store, but boom, you know, what what's going to end up going in there? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, do you miss do you miss some of these these mom and pop, the locally owned businesses? I understand it's business. I understand why it's happening. Are we going to regret so many of these stores closing as we move forward? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Wants to give Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us, Jeff. This is no different than small farms. They can't compete with all the mega farms that keep getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, it, it is it is the changing of America. There's no question about it. And look, and I I understand this has been going on for a long time. When when you had McDonald's and Burger King and all the other burger doodles that, that rolled out across the country, you know, that significantly hurt the mom-and-pop diners. Now, you still have some of those that are around, but a lot of them just went belly up because, again, they couldn't compete with the chains and the chain buying power and the fast food stuff and all that. And certainly you have seen that with the Walmarts of the world. And I'm I'm not a Walmart shopper, but I understand. You know, I understand what the appeal of the Walmarts and the big box retailers are, and you've seen that with the impact on, on the local hardware stores. Now, I'm one of these guys that um, I will – especially since I'm not handy, I will always, 
always choose the local hardware store over like the the big box store. I mean, I I like being able to walk in. I like being able to be greeted by the the person that can tell me exactly and walk me to exactly what aisle the part I need and then explain to me in great detail because I need great detail, you know, how you make the particular repair with the part. And then once I'm not able to do it, when I come back again, then clear up and explain what I've done wrong. So, I mean, I, I will always support the, the local business there, but you know, it's getting tougher and tougher and tougher to do that. As again, you see the local pharmacies that are just being driven out of business. And now the story that's precipitated this after 80 some years, one of the institutions in Whitefish Bay, the Bay Bakery, that that's now ended up closing. And there's just something about the, the character of these smaller locally owned businesses where the people know who you are and the people know their product and the people are invested in the community. There's something special about that, and and we're losing it. And again, I'm a free market guy here, so I, I understand I understand the, the the power of buying, and I understand the insurance companies that are saying, no, you know, we get a better deal if we make you take your prescriptions to you know X, Y, and Z mega drug as opposed to the local pharmacy. I I understand what's going on here. I get it. At the same time. I guess I'm nostalgic for this era that, that's ending. And I, I do wonder if a generation from now we're going to look at like Main Street America and we're going to see a bunch of vacant storefronts and all everybody is going to know is, okay, you got to go to the superstore to get your prescriptions and you got to go to the superstore to get your cakes made and all those different types of things. It's just, it, it's progress, but it's not necessarily good progress. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us, Gru. Have you seen that This Is Us, the show they were just promoting? Have you ever seen that? A uh, few episodes. My my wife loves it. So she she's watched it, and she'll DVR it and stuff. I, I watched a little bit of it, and I, I, maybe I'm not doing it justice, but it's one of the most depressing shows at least the stuff that that i have seen on this it's just so incredibly depressing you know people are battling substance abuse and people are dying right and left it's just like I, and maybe it's incredibly compelling but to me like life is too short it's like my my goodness i need something a little bit upbeat i you know if i just want to hit my head on a, with a hammer you know for an hour every week well i'll hit my head with a hammer every week yeah, bring back Shark Week, something like that. But, well, right. See, I write Shark Week or some something What's that else. What's Alaska uh, Gold Digger show that you watch? Gold Rush. That's it. Oh, yeah. Gold Rush. Oh, yeah. No, and I, I'm a I, look. I'm a big lover of, of, of junk TV. I admit it. Gold Rush, and uh, that should be starting sometime soon. And then you've got um, Pawn Stars on the History Channel. I I like that. Now, nothing will ever rival though. Full Throttle Saloon, which um, used to be. McCure and I used to like it. It was our guilty pleasure. It, the Sturgis Bike Rally in Sturgis, South Dakota, Full Throttle Saloon. It was this bar that they they had up just for like the the week of the rally, and then they they'd film it and stuff. And it was it, it burned down, so they don't do it anymore. But I, I I I enjoyed that. But now this is us. It was just it was just kind of depressing. I I thought, but a lot of people love it. All right, we started the program with Bernie Sanders announcing. He thinks that people in this country have too much money, and he wants to go after the wealthy people by imposing a wealth tax. Well, okay, that's not Bernie's only proposal. On Saturday, 
Bernie came out with a proposal that said, here's what he wants to do if he is the president. Anybody who owes a medical debt, if you owe money to a doctor or a hospital or, you know, your chiropractor or whatever, Bernie proposes wiping it out. No, you, you heard me right. You heard me right. Uh, at, at present, they estimate that Americans owe, there's about $81 billion in what they call medical debt. Bernie says, hey, look, here's the deal. He wants to go back and cancel all medical debts of people who have been billed under the current system. So doctors, hospitals, medical providers who are owed money, Bernie Sanders would wipe out that money that you are now owed. Now, you, you might say, well, well, how could you, you do that? Well, Bernie says, well, here's the problem. He says people, people have this medical debt, and it, it's providing a, a financial you know, hardship for some of them. I mean, it can hurt their financial security. It can ding their credit ratings. In some cases, it can lead to bankruptcy. So his idea is everybody that owes any sort of money at all, and by the way, this proposal isn't means-tested. So if you have a lot of money and you haven't paid your medical debt, that that would be wiped out as well. Now, you might ask this question, okay, uh, Senator Sanders, how exactly are you going to do this? And what he says is, that's well, a little bit vague, but his plan calls for the government, the government to negotiate and cancel the debts. So in other words, the government would, would move in, and if you owe, I don't know, your doctor $2,000 or something, the government would step in and they would sit down with your doctor and they would presumably say, here's the deal, we're going to pay you 250 bucks, and the rest of the debt is going to be gone. All right, so you no longer have to worry about that debt. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now look, I would love to be able to eat a big old piece of chocolate cake and not have to worry about blood sugar or calories or any of that, but that's not the way the the world runs. I mean, I, so I don't get to eat the chocolate cake, all right? Can't, can't eat my cake, have my cake, and eat it too. Just can't do that. I appreciate that medical debt is a problem for some people, but if you have incurred medical debt... Do we want the government coming in and saying to the medical providers, boom, it's gone? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess while you're thinking about that, my question would be, what, why, why do we stop, why do we stop with medical debt? I mean, does this mean student loan debt should be gone? What about car debt? I mean, that, that can be defining. Let's get rid of student loan debt. Let's get rid of car debt. How about credit card debt? I mean, credit card debt, think of all the people that owe money to the credit card companies and things like that. You know, shouldn't we have the government step in and, and essentially give us all a giant do-over? Let's start from scratch. Are there problems with that? 414-799-1620. We will discuss in just a moment. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Oh, for God's sake. Okay, here's the headline in ESPN. Bucks fined $50,000 for talk of extending Giannis. The Milwaukee Bucks have been fined $50,000 by the NBA for comments their general manager made about offering Giannis a Supermax contract when eligible next summer. 
The league announced the fine Tuesday, saying the Bucks violated league rules. At a televised town hall on September 12th, general manager John Horace said Giannis would be offered a Supermax extension next summer. He qualified for a five-year, $247.3 million Supermax extension next summer, the largest in NBA history by earning all NBA honors, etc. League rules dictate that team officials cannot commit to offering a player a Supermax contract until a player has played seven seasons. He just finished his sixth. What a ridiculous, I mean, what a ridiculous sort of rule. All right, so you got the general manager of the Bucks saying, hey, Giannis is a part of this franchise. We're going to offer him every dime we can offer him as soon as his contract comes up, and you get fined for doing that? Huh, talk about a screwed up league. Okay, speaking of screwed up, Bernie Sanders coming out with a proposal last Saturday. He says he wants to cancel all medical debt. So if you owe a hospital money, if you owe your doctor money, Bernie would do away with that. Now, what would he do? He'd say, well, you know, we'll, we'll talk to the medical providers. We'll negotiate and cancel debts. In other words, we're going to have the government go and say, hey, okay, you doctor, you've billed so-and-so $5,000. Presumably, we'll give you 500 bucks, and then we're wiping out the rest of it. All right. What do you think? 414-799-1620. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. I think it's just ridiculous. Uh, these medical uh, facilities are already raising up uninsured people by the millions. And if he does this, it's going to be like uh, millions of jobs lost in uh, hospital funding or whatever he's got. I don't know how he's going to pay for it. And uh, uh, Oh, yeah. I mean, right. Well, you're going to pr- presumably pay for it by increasing taxes on the, the wealthy who you know don't need all the money they have. But, yeah, I mean, uh, imagine, Mike, if, if in your industry – you know, you're you're collecting debts or whatever, and all of a sudden you had the government come to you and say, "All right, you know, you're, you're owed fifty grand, but you're you're going to have to take five hundred dollars or five thousand dollars on that fifty. Imagine what that would do to your business if all of a sudden the government wiped out all that debt. It'd be devastating, and uh, you know what you have to do is buy proper buy stock and ink and uh, paper companies, and they'll pretty take the profits from that too. Yeah, exactly. Thanks much beyond this. Okay, is this the government's role? All right, now, it's one thing if you want to talk about moving forward. Okay, we got Medicare for all and that type of stuff. Okay, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll argue that. But that's not what this is. These are legitimately incurred debts. This is money that is owed people. And Bernie Sanders is talking about having the federal government come in Stick its nose in between a transaction between, in this case, like a doctor or a patient or the health provider or whatever, and say, okay, this, this is, you, you've billed $1,000, but, you know, you're not going to be able to collect that. Take, we are going to pass a law. The government's going to say that you can only collect $100 on that $1,000 debt. I mean, does this scare anybody about, you know, the, the government assuming control of private industry? Again, retroactively. I mean, it's it's one thing if moving forward we can ch- completely change the business model and we say we're going to get rid of, we're going to have nationalized medicine and whatever. Okay, people can argue about that, but we're now going to have the government uniformly cancel debts to private businesses? Let's talk to Sam and McHenry. Sam, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Medicare for all, but nobody's going to get paid for the services, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Hey, be a doctor, be a nurse, be a chiropractor, be a dentist, be all that stuff. Just don't expect to get paid. Yeah, pretty much. But my, my original point to your screener was, you know, we, we've been talking about how Donald Trump can shift these markets, you know, five, 600 points in a day just because he said something about China or even this morning 
Nancy Pelosi, we're waiting to see what she wants to do with the impeachment, right? Market right. took a dip. Right. What do you think is going to happen in this market, Jeff, if these guys get in charge of this country? Uh, oh, it's going to be begging for Trump back then. Oh, it, it, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, you're you're talking about, like, for example, with the Medicare for all thing, not to get too far afield, but, you know, the, you're talking about essentially if, if Elizabeth Warren gets her way or Bernie Sanders gets his way, uh, essentially doing away with the entire private insurance industry. So, you know, what, a million, however many people work in that, you're, you're out of your jobs. I mean, boom, you're, you're just gone. You are on the streets. This entire industry has disappeared. Yeah, exactly. What's that going to do to the market? Yeah. Well, it's not only that. It's the college debt. It's like you were joking about the credit cards. I mean, there's no end to what these people are dreaming up in their silly heads. And, yeah, you're going to put people out of work. You're going to kill the industry. But, you know, maybe that's what we need to go through in this country for people to finally wake up and see all this stuff for what it is. I don't know. It's going to be real interesting what we come up with in the next election. Well, it, it will be. You know, I mean, th- thanks thanks for the call. I mean, here I have a couple of texts that make the same point. Jeff, why stop at medical debt? Why not pay off my mortgage debt and make sure I have no property taxes anymore? Yeah, that. I mean, it, it's the same sort of argument. I mean, my gosh, you have the, these big banks. These big banks are, are too powerful. They've, they've made too much money. They're too irresponsible. And they're collecting interest on the backs of, you know, people who've, like, borrowed money. Let's let's cancel the mortgage debt. Or, or let's say, okay, you're not going to have to pay interest on your loans. Look, the the, the, the bottom line is... We have a fundamental choice moving forward about what sort of country do we want to live in? Now, for, you know, since this country was founded, you know, we have had, it, it's been based on capitalism, the idea of free market economies and things like that. And does government have a role? Yet yeah, government has a role. You have people who legitimately believe that the role of government should be to control everything, to tell people how much you should be able to charge for stuff. And in this particular case, to, with apparently a straight face, tell people, all right, you, you, you owe money. You have legitimate debts. We are going to move in and we are going to cancel those debts. Where does it, in fact, stop? And yet this is – and look, and I, I understand there's a degree of popularity. Nobody likes hospitals, all right? Nobody likes getting medical bills. Nobody likes insurance companies. I, I understand all that, but, you know, they, they play a role in a capitalistic system Bernie Sanders apparently doesn't believe that. As to where the money's going to come from, well, he's kind of vague on that, other than the fact that we're going to continue to take money from people who have too much money and then distribute it to people who don't have enough money. And as I said in the first hour of this program, you know, anybody who thinks that socialism like that works, well, I mean, show me a country where it has worked with any degree of success for any period of time. The answer is there. there's no such place. All right, it's 254. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.